Six games matching ranked teams. Best weekend of the season. We've broken it down in two previous episodes. And now what you really want, the picks. This is the College Game Day podcast for Friday, September 22nd. Reese Davis and Pete Thamel here. Stanford Steve joining us. Last week, a, a study in mediocrity uh, with a couple of six and four records and a five and five. But the five and five record of Pete Thamel was perhaps mitigated by the fact that his picks, he couldn't change his gut on the fly because he sent his picks in to Taylor and Taylor did his best Pete Thamel impression in delivering the picks and it cost him, didn't it, Pete? Well, I certainly don't want to just create a linear line between the gentle teasing that I received on last Friday's podcast to Taylor breaking three metatarsals in his foot. But but since he's not here, and uh, as Sarah Abbott, who's uh, capably filling in for him, pointed out, he did set the rules of the podcast um, as the thing unspooled and people started to feel guilty about making fun of me. When you're not on the podcast, you get made fun of. So... Uh, for all of Taylor's assistant strength and psychology coach jokes that uh, that came, um, yes, he is not with us this week, so we are uh, we are free to gently tease back. So we miss you, Taylor. I'm sure with your foot uh, hoisted and elevated up, you're probably looking at like Orioles Double A prospects uh, wars um, as you uh, as you as you try to get ready for uh, you know the late season uh, the late season push here. But you are uh, you are certainly missed, and we are glad you created the rules as you. A weekend preview is brought to you by Eckridge Smoked Sausage. Psst. The secret to winning game days this college football season is Eckridge Smoked Sausage. Visit Eckridge.com for dozens of simple, mouth-watering recipes to elevate your next tailgate, which Taylor had been to a tailgate. Uh, this could also be a problem, too, because I, I was not told whether Eckridge Smoked Sausage was served at the tailgate, which he wore Maryland paraphernalia. Uh, before they came back and obliterated Virginia. So there could be a number of things in which Taylor was tempting fate and wound up with his... I was happy his in-laws weren't the ones who broke his foot. That was... Do we do we know that for a fact that that didn't happen? Uh, I mean, there's... I, I want to leave a little ambiguity there. Okay. You know, probably deserved if he... if Especially if he wore those ugly Maryland, like, flag gear. Like, that, that is actually calling for broken bones. What Stanford Steve here? What's going on with the with the Terps right now? Slow, slow starts and then they hammer people, right? Yeah, yeah. I was going to say if they can avoid the fourteen nothing deficit, you're not going to want to do that on the road. But as always, Locke's got some guys to get the ball to. Man, it's been it's been really impressive. People could say what they want about the competition, but hey, the way some this season has started for some teams to be able to go out and get these wins, um, you know, now you got a conference game on the road, and now you really find out what you what what do you what you have. So all all is going in the right direction, and we still call it the toughest division in football when you're when when you're when right you're now, yeah. when you're Maryland, Indiana, and Rutgers. That that that's what I would say. Yeah. It's the toughest division. Yeah, Maryland's on the road at Michigan State this week in a game that might get a little more tension if not for the plethora of big time matchups. Are you guys ready to uh, go ahead and just start making some picks and maybe if we get started quickly and we are just as talkative but slightly more disciplined because uh Steve the uh the sub 
subtitle of our, not really subtitle, I guess, but the uh, the second line of this podcast is talkative and undisciplined. It's like the College Game Day podcast, talkative and undisciplined with uh, with Reese Davis and Pete Thamel and on Friday, Stanford Steve. So let's start in a few games I want to break down a little bit more than others because we have to race through at times. So Sarah, uh, with Taylor in a boot, why don't you get us started picking some games? All right. Our first game is Florida State at Clemson, and Florida State is a two-point favorite. So let's go Reese, Pete, Steve. The Seminoles have lost the last seven times they've seen the paw. They haven't won at Clemson since 2013, and the famous Jameis Winston speech, we're back, we ain't leaving without a victory, and if we're going to do it, Let's do it big then. Now, big picture, this is going to tell us a lot about Clemson. They don't have a lot of explosive plays. They've put the ball on the deck, lost four fumbles. They don't throw the ball down the field. They have scored two defensive touchdowns. They get Mukaba back. They have the psychological edge of this is exactly Dabo Sweeney's wheelhouse and getting, getting his team to be overlooked, assuming the loss. And I'm going with the Seminoles. I think they, I think they, they, this is Clemson's chance at redemption after the Duke debacle. But I think Clemson can improve. They can get better over the course of the season. But, you know, in the immortal words of Jameis Winston, if I'm going to go with the Seminoles and I'm going with the Seminoles big, then I'll take Florida State. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to roll with Reese here. Uh, I don't know if Clemson has the, the talent in the secondary to hold down FSU skill, Keon Coleman specifically. I just really am down on all the pieces on Clemson's offense. And this has, this is not to do with Clubnick. It's, it's too early to make any grandiose statements about Cade Clubnick, but I don't like his offensive line. I really think the skill there has eroded to mediocrity and I think Florida State will be able to find ways to score, even though Clemson has a good front seven. So I feel like Florida State comfortably and, you know, listeners for this podcast, especially in the offseason, uh, have gently mocked Reese and I for offensive line depth. But with Florida State down a tackle in a center, they've had capable guys. Uh, Washington came in at center. He started at four of the 5-0 line spots and has started 30 times since like 2019. So it's just like that. those are championship pieces, and we're seeing those championship pieces now. I'm just not ready. I, the, Clemson's loss at Duke was weird, but I just didn't see enough like getting the ball down the field. I just don't see enough explosion and skill there like I have in the past. So I'm going to take the Knowles. Yeah, a bunch of things to factor in. Those offensive line guys expected back for Florida State? So uh, Norvell didn't tip his hand yet. I, I think we'll have a better sense on, on Friday, and I'll certainly have an update on game day on Saturday. Okay. That got very hairy in Chestnut mm-hmm. Hill in the second half last week. I, I They're not lucky. They're the better team. But I thought they were pretty fortunate with, with the way that thing turned and then to, to be able to get out of there. So you touched on it. The matchups in this game – are, are versed in that defensive line of Florida State against Clemson's offensive line. That's what I want to see. When you're a great defensive front, your group travels and plays well. I do like the matchup there. And, Reese, you touched on it. Clemson, perfect spot. I do expect them to take shots down the field. They have to. Dabo knows they need the crowd to get in this game. Uh, I was there for the Jameis game. I don't think I ever left the game quicker. I left before the first quarter was over. Was that 13, you said, Reese? 2013. Yeah, 2013. Last time, last time they won 
at Clemson. They won the next year in Tallahassee, the last yeah. time they beat in Clemson, period. But uh, last time they won at Clemson yeah. was 13. And I, I go back, I watched the tape of last year's game. I thought Florida State was the better team. I, I know Clemson won the game, but I, I really thought Florida State was. So I believe in that defensive line, uh, and I think Florida State wins the game throwing the football. I'll take the Knowles. Next game is Ole Miss at Alabama, and Alabama is a seven-point favorite. So let's go Pete, Reese, Steve. Well, 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 this has all the popcorn shenanigans that Lane Kiffin gives us. Uh, God bless Lane Kiffin. May he never be able to help himself because he cannot help himself. That is, if you had to sum up Lane Kiffin on a fortune cookie, it would just be he can't help himself. And it's great for us, right? It's like unbelievable fodder. Um, we thought Jay Norvell gave us the best fodder of the week last week when he uh, when he dropped that stink bomb on Coach Prime's doorstep on his radio show. But Lane topped us. He didn't even wait till Sunday night. <laughs> By sundown, he yeah. was already he was already poking the bear with a javelin. So um, that, all that said, I have confidence Lane Kiffin is going to figure out a way to score points. I don't have confidence that Alabama is going to score points. So if I'm going to take Kiffin, if I'm going to pick this game and I have seven points with, uh, with, with Lane Kiffin going, going in there in a, you know, an offense that has stylistically driven Nick Saban nuts. And uh, remember how they jumped on him last year. I just think that it, from empirical evidence, I would be so mad at myself if I took Alabama and they just sputtered out of the gate again. And I know Ole Miss defense isn't any great shakes, but I am going to I'm going to ride the gut because I can't have watched Alabama as much as I have and then all of a sudden decide they're going to turn into a functional offense. And I think the part I'm most disappointed of Alabama with, and Steve has touched on this, is their offensive line, which is supposed to be their identity. Saban went to media days, and you know, we're going to get back to gate, you know, uh, Greg McElroy as the caretaker quarterback style, and we're going to have J.C. Latham blow off the ball. They're just not very good. Like, there's just no other way to say it. They're not very good. So, um until things drastically change. Now, could Jalen Milrow like run for a buck fifty and they they ham and egg away to win? Sure. But I, I ain't gonna believe it until I see it, and I haven't seen it yet. I hope this happens many, many, many years, if not decades down the road. But all of us are going to have a bad day at some point, and there will be an epitaph attached to all of us. And when Lane Kiffin has a bad day, again, hoping it's many years down the road, that will be his epitaph. He just couldn't help himself. And he poked the bear, got them all stirred up for no apparent reason. There was really no reason to bring up whether Kevin Steele or uh, Traveris Robinson was calling the defense, other than, as Pete so accurately pointed out, It gives us great fodder. It creates a little intrigue surrounding the game. And ever since, though, Lane Kiffin is, this is a dime store psychologist evaluation. He is so conflicted in his relationship with Nick Saban. He loves Nick Saban because he admires what he's accomplished. And he also is very appreciative to Nick for basically giving him the opportunity to resurrect his own career. And yet, understandably so, there is still, I think, some lingering resentment over being uh, sent on his way to Florida Atlantic prior to the national championship game in 2016. 
I think Lane Kiffin wants to win against Nick Saban for that reason more than he wants to breathe. But And he couldn't help himself from stirring all of this up. And thereby, one would think, make it less likely that Ole Miss goes into Bryant-Denny Stadium and wins, where with the exception of a uh, alleged brick-through-a-window game following a homecoming loss in the Bill Curry era uh, and a bounce-off-the-headgear shot from the Hugh Freeze era, Ole Miss has had precious little success there. Why would you do that? You would do that because you know that People would pick Ole Miss if they were giving seven, let alone getting seven. If this were Ole Miss giving seven, based on what I've seen from Alabama, especially last week, I would take Ole Miss and lay the seven. So there's no question that I'm taking the Rebels and and getting seven. Not only to cover, but to win outright. Wow. Wow. All right. I love it. Uh, wow. Here we go. Are we, do we need the graphic to get saved? <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm not doing it to save the graphic. I'm, I firmly believe in this. I think Lane did it to take the focus off of Pete Golding going back to Alabama. Uh, maybe not the whole reason, but it's pretty ironic that Bama fans were waiting. They safe to say they were not fans of Pete's, and a lot of he got a lot of the blame when he did not deserve as much as he got. And now you look at Pete Golden going back to Tuscaloosa and it's Alabama's offense. That's the problem. I still go back to what I've seen Tommy Reese do at Notre Dame when they had inferior guys having to play young guys on the offensive line. Proctor, it's it's very obvious. He has he has a lot of trouble with speed. You can add tight ends. I think you're going to see more tight ends from Alabama. I think they help you in the quarterback run game. Pete, you touched on that. So I, I, I've seen him win games with Drew Pine at quarterback. Jalen Milrow could do a hell of a lot more than Drew Pine. I get it. This is the SEC, but I'm going to take the seven. I, I, I'm not – I got Ole Miss – Nice win at, at Tulane. I, I don't. I wasn't Im- as impressed uh, with that win, and I'm still not impressed with a win over Georgia uh, Georgia Tech. So, I think there's a you know a lot of stuff happened around Bama uh, after the announcement was made that Buckner is going to be the starter. So, I, I think I think they rally around it, and I'm going to lay the seven with Bama. Next game is Colorado at Oregon, and Oregon is a 21 point favorite. So let's go Steve P. Reese. This is tougher than I thought. Shout out, Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I plan to be made up of this game. I still think uh, Oregon is superior at every position on the field. And I'm going to take the Ducks and lay the 21. We're going to need some graphic saving here soon because there's some groupthink going on. Um, <laughs> I just really feel like uh, – I really feel like Oregon can get after Shador Sanders. Uh, and one of the interesting things about seeing Colorado live in practice on Thursday is their tackles are 6'9 and 6'10. Yeah. That's just not something I'd ever seen on a college football field before. Uh, I've got an opponent breakdown that's going to post uh, Friday when most people listen to this uh, podcast. I talked to a bunch of coaches who played Colorado. They really feel like the interior of that offensive line, Van Wells missed last game. I don't think he's going to be back. Um, not certain of that yet. They also just felt like the left guard was a, was a weak point. So I feel like Oregon with some big D tackles and some speed off the end to take advantage of those big lugs at tackle can really get after Shador Sanders. Um, Colorado has one of the three worst, uh, 
numerically protecting the passer. I guess sacks allowed rates would be the right term there. I'm going to go with Oregon to cover as well. I, I said Wednesday that I it was hard to get there just because Colorado has made so many clutch plays. But that offensive line from the Buffs hasn't done a great job protecting Shadour, as has been noted a time and again. Oregon has been average in terms of their pressure percentage, sort of middle of the country, ranking in the 50s. That will probably increase. Colorado hasn't shown the ability to stop the run. And here comes Bucky Irving and Bo, who also likes to run. Colorado hasn't been able to get off the field on third down. Um, The only way Colorado stays within the number of this game is if Oregon does uh, boneheaded stuff. Muff punts, fumbles uh, deep in your own territory, stuff like that. Otherwise, I think it's going to be a really long day for the Buffaloes, and I'm going to lay the three touchdowns and and think that Oregon strolls out of there with a victory. No Travis Hunter, by the way. I just feel like that's right. Just be right. Yep. For several yeah, weeks, and I'm not sure that would make a huge difference in this game anyway, even though he, would, he might be the best player on the field if he's able to play, but I'm not sure that that would be enough to compensate for what I view anyway as Oregon's uh, overwhelming advantages in most positions. I'm really interested to see how many points Colorado scores in this game. That that's what I most I I know we know the defense is is going to be up against it. I'm really interested to see this offense in this environment. What what would you say if I, if I set the over under um, for Colorado points at twenty four? Would you take the over or under? Under. Yeah, I would say under. I'm going to say barely under. Because they're going to throw it a million times, they're going to be behind, yep. and they might they might sneak sneak no some in late. But uh, probably that's probably about it. I'd love to see what Vegas said if they if they do such things. Well, they'll do. Yeah, they'll do. They'll have that. I mean, it's very simple. I'm just not a math guy. I can never do this. But if the total's 71 and they're given 21, I'm expecting. You just got to find the difference of the 21 with those numbers, and then that's that's what your team total will be. You could bet on that. A train leaves Houston traveling 37 yes. miles an hour. I'm, I'm, I'm so bad. I can't ever do it on the spot. I need to so see it's like It's like a, the 50-point so so like, difference right between the total and the spread. Is that how you do it? Yeah. Okay. He knows what he's doing. He likes to. No, do no I, 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 I'm, I'm learning. I know. I'm, I'm learning. <laughs> I'm learning, but I don't know. It's, it's. I don't know. I'll give you the algorithm when well, I see but, it. But yeah, you can give me the algorithm then. But I'm not. Uh, it's this, uh, this whole bunny thing. And as you reach this stage in your career that I do, you're not eager to go give it to fellas in Vegas. No. So you know, I'm not. I'm not terribly. I. You made it this yeah, far. Yeah, I've, I've been able to live all this time without making. Without making any any bets, but uh, you know, I can well maybe among friends, just you know games of chance among friends, yeah. but not like any real ones sure. or anything. Okay, what do you got, Sarah? All right, our next game is UCLA at Utah, and Utah is a four and a half point favorite. So let's go Reese, Steve, Pete. One of the biggest factors to this game is will Cam Rising play? 
And if he does play, will he be the Jack Sparrow swashbuckler that we've seen at quarterback for the Utes the last couple of years when healthy? And if he's not, is that really a better option than than playing Nate Johnson? Um, Dante Moore has brought a tremendous big play element for a young quarterback to UCLA's offense. He's averaging over 19 yards of completion, touchdown interception, seven to one. Uh, QBR is better than Drake May, McCarthy, and Bo Nix. I mean, he's off to a great start. But this is an entirely different environment in front of the mighty Utah student section. It's against a defense that well, granted, hasn't exactly played world beaters on offense. I think they've allowed like 30, 31 points in three games. Won a couple of games against Power 5 teams. UCLA handled them last year. I think I wasn't quite as high on Utah going into the year as some relative to the other teams in the Pac-12. But in this particular game, um, I think the I think the Utes win it. The spread is small. There's a great temptation to take UCLA in the four and a half and say Utah wins by a field goal. But I'm going to say Utah wins by six. So I'm going to I'm going to call like a 23-17 Utah win and cover. Yeah, big spot. I think it's interesting that Chip, you know, made the move to Dante in games prior to this. You keep bringing up the must, Reese. It's it's a difficult place to play. There's no doubt about that. Uh, I still may like this game with this slate. I, I hope it gets the shine it, it deserves because this is a great matchup. Uh, I love that UCLA did beat them last year, got to face a lot of that personnel. I think that gives them confidence going to a place where Chip has not been good uh, in, in Salt Lake City. But it all comes down to what you do in the red zone. You know, can, can UCLA get off the field and force field goals? Or is Cam Rising going to be healthy and, and and be the difference in that red zone? I think it's a tight game. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna take the four and a half with UCLA. I I believe that defense is stout enough to keep them in the game if things don't go accordingly. You know, Chip's gonna want to run the ball on the road, and uh, I think they keep it close enough. I don't know if they can win it, but I think they can keep it within a field goal. Give me UCLA plus the four and a half. Thank God we're just not all group thinking here. I was uh, I was going to take UCLA anyway, but after Reese picked Utah, I was like, all right, we can't. We, no one wants to hear a podcast where everyone agrees, <laughs> right? It would be the kumbaya. They do if it's ours, Pete. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. You know, as much as Cam Rising has hurt Utah's offense, uh, I really think, uh, you know, the loss of tight end uh, – Brad Keithy has been has been just as big. He he's obviously one of the best tight ends in the Pac-12 and uh, has been a super productive uh, guy for them. Um, there's some ambiguity over when he'll return as well. Um, he actually denied this week in uh, in the media out there that you know he's saving himself for the draft. So it's sort of hit that point in his uh, in 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 his return. Um, if Cam Rising does come back, and and we may not know until Saturday, uh, you know what that decision is. I don't think we're going to see full barrel cam rising as, as Reese hinted at earlier. So I think Dante Moore with the run game element, obviously a really difficult place to play freshman quarterback on the road. You always put a little pit in your stomach when you pick them, but I just think they'll be able to find a way to move the ball with Strudevant, uh, especially catching passes. He's the most dynamic skill guy in this game. And I think they'll be able to score enough um, to, to cover. And I'm actually just going to say that the Bruins are going to win. Like it. Oh, uh... Right. Next up, 
we have BYU at Kansas, and Kansas is a nine-point favorite. So let's go Pete, Reese, Steve. You know, really interesting game here. Big 12 debut for BYU. They've certainly uh, they've certainly rocketed uh, out this season and, you know, had one of the most impressive wins of the season, quite frankly, at Arkansas, coming back from down 14-0 uh, on, on Saturday. The Keevan Slovis era has kind of rolled on from the Jalen Hall era, and I'd be remiss if I didn't note that they are also without Puka Nakua. Um, who has become a rookie sensation. Rookie of the year. Come on. In the NFL. Uh, he's like the greatest rookie receiver ever in the history of the NFL football through two weeks. So I am the, you know, the lead cheerleader of the Puka fan club. And uh, nobody's more excited than me that uh, that Puka is, uh, is, is rocking and rolling with uh, Coach McVay and the Rams there. So um, that said, boy, you know, Lance Leipold's teams are numbingly efficient, right? Like, and Jalen Daniels uh, has, is, is back, and um, I was just really blown away by the, the game plan they had against Illinois because Illinois had an advantage at defensive tackle. I think Steve would want me to mention here that Brett Bielman brought two defensive tackles to There the we day. go. <laughs> <laughs> You'd think if they do that, they could stop the run because that hasn't happened yet either. Yeah. Yes. No, they, they, they have it. Uh, I, I think Kansas, uh, I think Kansas figures out a, figures out a way here and, uh, and, in in guts one out over, over BYU. And, uh, it's just hard. It's hard at this point when the talent's been equal, Lance Leipold has figured out a way to win and Andy Cottle Nick has figured out a way to move the ball. And, uh, if Jalen's back's good, I, I think the Jayhawks roll. And, and, ro- and by roll, you mean you're, you're laying the nine. Yeah. Okay. All right, Steve, go ahead. I, I'm going to agree. I look at this line, the same kind of, uh, for instance, we had last week, BYU going to SEC country and getting eight eight points and they win the game on the field. I think they're going to be a healthy, a heavily bet underdog where they see a team that went to SEC country and won and now they're getting points again at Big 12. This Kansas offense is a totally different animal. Uh, Arkansas really struggles on the perimeter to get separation, even though I thought KJ was, was pretty darn good. This is a whole different animal with Kansas' offense. Uh, I'm going to lay the points also with Pete and lay the points with the Jayhawks. I watched a, a good portion of the BYU Arkansas game, and you know, it was kind of an odd game to watch because you know the the quick lead and then the comeback, and it just kept feeling as if you were waiting for Arkansas uh, to break loose and break free. And not only did they not do that, they lost the game. I mean, Slovis, you know, only he threw a couple of touchdowns. He only threw for 167 yards. They didn't really run it well. Um, there's everything in the world to pick Kansas and laying the points. I think Kansas will win the game, but I, I'm going to, I'm going to take the nine points with BYU and think that they can keep it close. If for no other reason than our good friend and one of the really good guys in coaching, uh, Lance Leipold, uh, pulling out a page from the Lane Kiffin, Jay Norvell book, perhaps inadvertently, uh, annoyed BYU by making reference to the average age of their roster. Uh, They don't care for that. It's like just under 22 years old. He was talking about the experience and maturity, and they have taken some degree of exception to having that mentioned prior to uh, mentioning the fact that they beat Arkansas. They've started 3-0. I think Kansas is really good. I think they're the better team. I think BYU probably has enough scrap and fight to uh, 
to keep it within nine. So I'll take BYU in the points, but a Kansas victory. Noted trash talker Lance Leipold. Really just, he's like right behind Kiffin with his swagger. The last guy in coaching who would, who would trash talk. All right. Next up, we have Oregon State, a three-point favorite at Washington State. And let's go Steve P. Reese this time. Love the matchup. Absolutely love this matchup. Uh, two of my favorite teams to watch early on in this season. I think it's a, a big spot knowing all the conference stuff and how these two teams have aligned uh, themselves. And it's, I, I think it's a pick em game. I think it's people know more about Oregon State and, and what they bring to the table. That's why they're favored in this game. And, man, I think this is the toughest game to pick on the slate. I think it's a really important game, too, knowing uh, you know what could be if one of these teams could get – or if both of these teams could still find a way to the Pac-12 title game to really shove it in the Pac-12's face would be really, really funny. Uh, but I think Oregon State is better on both lines of this, uh, a scrimmage. And when you go on the road and you play in – what will end up being a night game in the Palouse, even, you know, the clock's changed. I remember I played there once. It was, I felt like it was dark at 1 p.m., uh, <laughs> but it's, it's just a different place, man. And it's a big, big spot for DJ, man. On the road, uh, you know, you, you establish some confidence. I know you went to San Jose State and got a win uh, early in the year, but this is a different world in Washington State and, and what they have built themselves on and seeing what Cam Ward is. I'm going to take Washington State plus the points at home. I, I think it's a super, super close game. I think it's low score, and I think 23, 24 points wins it. So I'm going to take Washington State as a home dog here. I really like both of these teams, and if I'm getting points at home, that's going to carry the day for me. I'm going to go with Washington State taking the points. Their defense has, you know, they've given up some points, but the offense has been so prolific. I think they're third in the country and uh, 20 plus yard pass plays. You know, Ward has put up the kind of numbers that they thought he might put up last year. They've really, he's taken to uh, the the change in coordinator for sure. Um, Oregon State though, I, I think, do you, I get the feeling that this is almost a, uh, who can control the style and tempo of the game. You know, they average over six yards a carry. You know, they want to run the ball with uh, Damian Martinez and then let DJ Uyangalole make plays down the field to complement that. If it gets going fast, that favors uh, the Cougars. If, if it becomes a grinder, then that is a big swing in favor of the Beavers. But this, I agree with you, Steve. This is one of the uh, most difficult games, if not the most difficult game to call on the slate. And if I'm going to get a home dog, I'm going to take it. So I'll take the, uh, I'll take Wazoo in the three points. I'm happy this game is a seven o'clock primetime game uh, because we'll all get, you know, a lot of eyeballs on two programs that deserve the eyeballs because they're so good. But shouldn't this game be at 1030? Right. Oh, like, for shouldn't sure. this game yes. be shouldn't this game be on at last call? Like I, I just I just feel like that's a little off for me. Like it would be the quintessential Pac twelve uh a- after dark as it uh, as it rolls. Um 
I'm going to, I'm going to take the Beavers that look the three points for the home, you know, the home team is tempting, but I, uh, I really feel like they are built to go win a game like this. They dominated this game last year, uh, 24 to 10, and they are a better version of themselves from last year. Damian Martinez quietly is averaging 8.8 yards a carry. He's leading the Pac-12 in rushing by almost 100 total yards. Um, he's been, you know, a little bit of a threat in the air, too. I just think he's one of the most dominant players in college football, and really that will be showcased tonight. DJU has been solid and steady, and uh, I'm happy that his uh, rehab project has gone as well as we hoped it would with uh, with Jonathan Smith up there in in Corvallis. So I'm gonna go uh, I'm gonna go Beavs, but this is a firecracker, man. This is a heck of a game. I'm psyched to watch it. Yeah, I think the biggest factor in this game is Oregon State's defense. That that that's the that's the unit that I'm watching in this game, and I think can be the ultimate deciding factor. All right, next up, we have Iowa at Penn State, and Penn State is a 14-and-a-half-point favorite. So let's go Steve P. Reese. I'm not going to try and overthink this. I think Penn State's better at every position. I know it's a lot. It is the whiteout. I know Iowa scored 30-plus to get the meter back up, uh, but I I just – I feel like Penn State has much more. I I really – Feel like I, I love what I saw from Penn State's secondary last week, uh, and and knowing Iowa's offense is not their strength, uh, I believe Penn State. This it might be ugly early on, uh, as it was with Penn State not getting touchdowns off all those turnovers early on. I said different animal, uh, wide out. I'm going to lay the points with Penn State. If Penn State blows out Iowa, I feel like we can. Again, take them as they are a playoff contender. So I want to be clear about that. But I think we can all of a sudden look at them as maybe, maybe this is a championship type team. We've never had a field this wide open in the last 10 years in college football. And why not Penn State? Well, they have a young quarterback. Well, he proved himself on the road, played played solid, you know, not spectacular. Um, you know, look, if, if I was going to win this game, it's going to be because they get a pick six or a special teams touchdown, right? Like there's no, their formula is not a secret in, uh, in, in any way. But I feel like for the way Iowa has consistently played, even when their offense has been abysmal, 14 and a half is a lot of points. And Penn State has had a penchant under Franklin to play down a little bit to their competition and go right in the mud with them instead of showing class and, you know, as they say in horse racing, and just running down the field and blowing them out. So um, I just have a hard time after seeing a lot of these Penn State-Iowa slobber knockers over the years thinking this one is going to be much different. Um, Lachey is out for Iowa, their tight end. That is a huge deal. Um, their identity this year was in 12 personnel. Eric all, um, obviously was going to, you know, was the other piece of that. So, um, it'll be interesting to see how Iowa adjusts there. I would feel a lot better if Lachey was playing, but I'm going to take the Hawkeyes with the 14 in the hook. I'm with Steve on this one. I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to overthink this. I think Penn state is much better than Iowa. And while Iowa, as Bill Connolly told us on Wednesday, still is the number one team in the country in defensive SP+, the the little secret in the early going is, is that you've been able to run on them a little bit. And Penn State, I think, will run the ball on them. Iowa does have the advantage of having a quarterback who has gone into that environment and and won. Uh, he, Caden McNamara, led Michigan, uh, past Penn State in Happy Valley uh, on their way to their first college football playoff berth in 2021. 
uh, through three touchdown passes in that game. So he's not going to be overwhelmed by the environment. The wideout environment will be huge. But I just think Penn State's a lot better. And I still question whether Iowa can, you know, can really put points on the board against what I think is a pretty good Penn State defense. So I'm going to I'm going to lay the 14 and a half and uh, and be secure in my pick on it. I think Penn State is going to handle handle that game decisively. I don't think it's going to be 42 14 or anything like that, but I think they'll they'll win the game. uh, They'll win the game with some level of ease. All right, and our last game of the week is Ohio State, a three-point favorite at Notre Dame. And let's go Reese-Pete-Steve. College game day there in recent years, Ohio State has been able to beat Notre Dame down the field when they play. Now, not as much last year after Jackson Smith and Jigba got hurt, but once they sort of, started the series again, and they played in a couple of bowl games. It's always been Notre Dame hasn't quite been able to match up with the elite athletes that Ohio State, at least a number of elite athletes that Ohio State uh, will throw at you. Now there's a little more question. Maybe for the first time that a decided quarterback advantage swings to Notre Dame as opposed to Ohio State. I like Kyle McCord. I think he's improving. Uh, He certainly doesn't have – the notches on his belt that Sam Hartman has. Uh, Notre Dame has been very excited for this game. Sam Hartman post-game interview on the big scoreboard after the game, encouraging Notre Dame fans to come out and be loud. And probably the subtext there was, don't sell your tickets to Scarlet and Gray. Don't let the stadium be taken over by Ohio State fans, the way Georgia did a few years ago when they went into Notre Dame. The last five times they've played, Ohio State's won all of them by double digits, largely because they've been more talented. I don't know. I still think that the roster is more talented for Ohio State, but with the quarterback discrepancy, I don't know that I feel the same way about it being uh, being some big surprise if Notre Dame wins the game. All of that said, I can't do it, man. I, I can't do it until I until I see it. Um, I think Ohio State can get some pressure on Hartman. I don't know if they're going to be able to just line up and run with Estime uh, the way they would like to to do it. Um, so I have some hesitancy, unlike maybe other years, and it's a very small number. But I'm going to take the Buckeyes and lay the three. I really like where Reese is on this. Like I, I, I feel like I'm in the same way. Like I believe Notre Dame can win this game. Um, but I, I need empirical evidence before I can sort of cross that threshold. There's just been too many times the Buckeyes have come out and they just showed that flash against Western Kentucky where the offense just lets it rip. And they certainly have the the personnel in the secondary to to match up with Ohio State, maybe as, maybe as good as anybody that's going to be outside Michigan on uh, Ohio State's schedule. Um, but I really, like, I'm going to take Ohio State for two reasons. One, I think Travion Henderson has found the form that he's found in his, uh, in his freshman year. I think, I feel like he is, uh, he is, he is back in, in a lot of ways. And, uh, I, I feel really good. 6.4 yards of carry four touchdowns. Um, he's, uh, he's been a factor in the receiving game as well. I, I feel like he, he is sort of a, a, someone that maybe Notre Dame doesn't have an answer for. And I really like the interior of this Ohio State offensive, uh, I'm sorry, of this Ohio State defensive line. 
Ty Hamilton, Michael Hall, uh, Tywin Malone, Tyleek Williams. I feel like this game is going to be a bit of a slobbernogger. It's going to be determined in the trenches. And as much attention as JTT and Jack Sawyer get, I feel like Ohio State is built to have that push up the middle to really affect Sam Hartman late in the game. Yet, so you are, you're laying the points with the road team. Yep. All right. I'm going to go opposite. I, I like Notre Dame. I think they're this is a better version. This is why you got Sam Hartman. You've been in these games. You've been embarrassed in a lot of these games against the top, you know, programs in the country. But he gives you that oomph you need at that position to make big time throws, third downs, convert, uh, keep that crowd involved. What's fascinating to me here, guys, is is Ryan Day and Hartline in that offense. You know, great success against Western Kentucky last week, but. You have to think Ryan Day's defense, he has confidence in his defense. He's gonna that defense is gonna keep him in this game. I really look early to see what Ohio State does. I think they try and create some splash plays to get that crowd out of it. And it, I think it'd be huge if Ohio State can go up early. You know, go up seven nothing, get a get a quick screen to one of those guys and, and bust a big play. My problem is is I'm not there with Ohio State's offensive line. Uh, I think Notre Dame does a good job of disrupting. They don't have to get McCord on the ground and you know rely on turnovers. I think they can disrupt that offensive line, and it's about the quick game for Ohio State. So I'm not there yet with McCord, even though he has shown problem. He looked just a lot more relaxed last week, um, knowing that he was the guy. I'm going to take Notre Dame. I believe they have enough on offense. The game is very winnable, but a home dog like that getting three points. I, I, this is a you mentioned all the the downtimes they've had recent this series. I think this is a different animal. I uh, can't wait for this matchup. I'll be really really surprised if somebody scores thirty points in this game. I'm going to take Notre Dame plus the points. Do you guys have YouTube TV? Do you have the four box? I do on your TV yeah. at home. So uh, for those who for those who do, if you're four box, it's a pretty good four box on Saturday night, right? Because you're going to have the Palouse game, you're obviously going to have Notre Dame, Ohio State. You're going to have Iowa, Penn State. And I don't know what the fourth one was be, but it almost doesn't matter because those are three, yeah. three pretty pretty electric games. Uh, you know, Minnesota Northwestern is on uh, is on BTN. That might not get everybody uh, all uh, all fired up here, but that's that is some good t- college football watching um, at that. Oh, UCF K State, which is a great game. Uh, UNC Pitt. That's like classic Mac Brown trap game. Um, to Texas lose. on the road. Texas on the road at Baylor. Um, certainly, Texas has shown uh, it is uh, it is winless against human nature against uh, against <laughs> Wyoming last week. Um, yeah, Mississippi State. You could really have two four boxes going here. Uh, UAB Georgia on the Deuce. Mississippi State South Carolina on the SEC Network. So that's. That is some good footy on uh, on old Saturday night. And just a, a quick little note, Pete, I know you're all over. When UCF makes its debut in conference games as a member of the Big 12 at Kansas State, no John Rice Plumley uh, for that game. He he hurt an ankle and uh, against Boise State and leading that game winning drive, and he's not gonna be uh, not gonna be able to go for that one. So that's going to hurt their debut cause. Daniel Green, their best defensive player, is out for the rest of the season. Will Howard is questionable for that game, the K-State quarterback. We're going to be watching that one closely on uh, on on Saturday. And um, K-State does get its starting right tackle back. 
uh, Christian Duffy. And that's a big deal because Cooper Beebe, who's the best guard in the country, had to kick out to right tackle. They were really getting, you know, uh, pu- not getting much push there at right tackles. So that's going to that's going to help K-State. But some some subplots to watch uh, as we approach kick on yeah. Saturday. Well, I, th- that's the thing. You start seeing these injuries sneak up uh, as as thin, for instance, as we've mentioned that Clemson is a receiver. Um, Cole Turner's out for them. And, you know, so there have been a, a number of teams that are all of a sudden having to employ the next man up of philosophy. And there will be a lot of that on Saturday for sure. Guys, can't wait to have the show from South Bend. Picturesque setting. Classic college football matchup. Going to be a beautiful morning there. We've got We've got some really special things in store for that show to follow up what was a sensational morning in Boulder last week. So can't wait to see you guys in South Bend. Reese, one big important question. Ask. How many texts and phone calls from Coach Phelps? Uh, there, there will perhaps there have been a few, and uh, there will perhaps be a dinner engagement. Few, you ju- you just dropped a yeah. few. I'll take the over on few. Let me, uh, you know, I'll I'll leave I'll leave us with this story, uh, sort of uh, I guess relaying some of oh. some of my fandom in early years. Okay. <laughs> Obviously, most people know I went to school at Alabama. I grew up an Alabama fan, so there were some heartbreaking losses, particularly at the end of the 73 season, missed extra point. Tom Clemens making a big play, one-point loss in that storied Sugar Bowl. A couple of others there, and it led me as a child to detest Notre Dame. Rooted, uh, you know, just thrilled when, uh, when Anthony Davis led that big comeback for USC against Notre Dame because Notre Dame lost. One of the happiest moments I remember in my fandom was when I was in college and Cornelius Bennett separated Steve Berline from his senses and lose for Lou Holtz's first year at Notre Dame and Alabama finally beat Notre Dame. So I'm thinking, you know, I, I can't possibly, you know, have any deep affection for Notre Dame because of these childhood memories. Then I spend all of those years working with Digger and working with Lou, both of whom I love. I mean, I, I know I know they're wacky. They're my wacky guys. I love those Absolutely. guys. And, and yep. the times that I've spent at Notre Dame with them and with another great friend of mine, a man called Skip Strelecki, who's going to have a little something special for everybody on the College Game Day crew this weekend. Just a wonderful Notre Dame guy. I now, as an adult, have morphed into – I love Notre Dame. I love going to Notre Dame. I love the Golden Dome. I I love uh, you know uh, first down Moses and fair catch Corley and you know in the grotto and the hidden crucifix and the whole thing. I'm in. You know I love Notre Dame because there are such wonderful people there. So I if you ever need a, a, a lesson in why broadcasters journalists don't have a hard time or as hard a time as fans might suspect of putting allegiances aside and doing their job. It's stuff like that. I mean, when, when you talk to 12-year-old Reese Davis and you say two of the people that you love the most on earth are legendary <laughs> Notre Dame coaches, that wouldn't have been on the bingo card at that time. And that one of your, one of your best friends, a guy who's had a huge impact in, in your life in a lot of ways, is a Notre Dame guy. Uh, you know, is that's not what you would expect. And so I, I'm really excited about going there 
and uh, and look forward to the spectacle that is Notre Dame. But yes, there have been a few calls. There's there are dinners <laughs> planned, so I'm going to have to have a I'm have to be something that I'm not on this podcast. I'm going to have to be very disciplined in getting the work done because there are a lot of demands when I go to South Bend. But I love it all. It's great. I can't imagine. I can't imagine, man. Oh, man. Let me ask this, Reese. Yeah. Uh, as as someone close to Lou Holtz, there's been some 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 breadcrumbs dropped that Lou could meet his most famous impersonator, Ty Schmidt, who works on Pat's show. Uh, Can you offer any insight into that notion? Because that would be an unbelievable collision of (laughs) imitator and reality. It's like going to Madame Tussauds and seeing your own statue. um, Let's put it this way, Pete. Efforting. Uh, further, further, okay. further clarity coming, uh, uh, coming over the breaking okay. of bread on Thursday night. So it's good tease. Yeah. Good tease. <laughs> Guys, that's been fun. Good luck on your picks, unless they're ones that differ from mine. In that case, bad luck. Thanks for listening to the college game day podcast. We hope that you will subscribe. Hope you enjoy this. We certainly enjoy bringing it to you. Subscribe. It's the easiest way to get it can get it uh, on the various places where you like to get podcasts watch it on youtube we appreciate you listening